0: Hi, I'm Matt Janssen and you're listening to the BRFCS Podcast.
4: The New York Rovers would like to welcome you to the BRFCS.com Podcast. Covering the 2019-2020 Blackburn Rovers Championship Campaign, hosted by Ian Herbert and joined by some very special guests. Don't forget to check out the forum here at BRFCS.com to continue the discussion.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to the BRFCS Podcast end of what is quite probably the longest season in the club's history we're gonna review the highs and the lows and try and form a balanced view as to what's happened over the last 12 months and what might be in store over the next 12 months So let's start off by considering the season on the pitch and let's try and get an overall impression. And to help us, we've got two proper journalists, actual Rovers reporters who've uh, who've been following the team all season. So we're going to kick off with the Lancashire Telegraph's Rich Sharp. Rich, how was the season for you and what were the, the general impressions that uh, the season left you with?
4: I think I've come away thinking a missed opportunity. Um I think for most people, somewhere between 6th and 12th is probably where they predicted at the start of the season. Uh, I tipped them for nine, so they're probably a couple of places below that. I think for me, the big thing is just whenever they got close again, they, they, they fell away, so it was similar to last season. But I didn't think it needed much more for them to get into that top 6. Um, I've looked at the teams that have got in there, and I know Rovers have had their injuries, and I think if Rovers could... In a hypothetical situation, have their best team on the pitch for forty six games. I see four definitely not six better teams in the division and I think that 's the thing that i've walked away i 've watched a lot of championship football and not seen many teams on the day better yeah. than rovers and they 've they 've caught seven points short, which seventy points to get into the playoffs isn 't what normally gets in the playoffs, so that probably just adds to that that missed opportunity so While there has been positives um Inconsistencies again at the wrong time, really. Um, probably meant they finished where they have.
1: Yeah, very much so. Jacob, uh, I think you need to nail your colours for the mask for anyone who doesn't know. You are a Birmingham City supporter. So you've come um, at this now, sort of like um, endearing yourself to, to, to Rovers and getting used to the, the culture of the fans and the team and all the rest of it. So, what are your pre- impressions as an outsider looking in on Rovers? And And to Richard's point, how close were we in the end?
3: Um, yeah, I've, I've come from a background of um, of misery and cruelty, really, in terms of being a Birmingham fan. But no, I, genuinely, I, I was quite impressed as a whole um, across the season with 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 the team. And um, I sort of um, uh, echo similar sentiments to Rich in that there were a lot of situations, um, especially during the Project Restart, where they've sort of been lingering in the back of my mind uh, Dominic Samuels miss against Barnsley and, and those sort of situations. And I feel like literally, obviously, seven points was a gap in the end. If that had gone in, would they have been any closer? And um, They probably would have. Yeah, it's just it's like fine margins in the end, which sort of prevented them from, from getting any closer than they actually did when they finished.
1: In terms of pain and anguish and all the rest of it then, how close to... to- what, when you're watching Blackburn Rovers, how close is it to the experience of watching Birmingham City? Uh,
3: it's a lot better, I must admit. It's a lot, uh, a lot more enjoyable to watch. Um, I've, I've been, I would, I would say, bullied. I don't know if that's a bit too far, but um, I've been reminded about some of the football Birmingham have played this season, and um, at times the uh, Rovers have been a pleasure to watch, uh, especially in comparison to them. Uh, but no, I, I think at, at times. Rovers have been good to watch. Um, some instances where it can be a little bit painful when they, they try and transition into the final third. Um, but no, they, they are. Very yeah, I think they've been a lot more enjoyable to watch than Birmingham this season.
1: Well, the, league, the league table would seem to indicate that, but that, that's not necessarily always the case. Rich, from your perspective, what were the what were the positives that you think we can take from the season just gone?
4: I'm the worst person at predicting anything, so I'm going to blow my own trumpet. that I did have Armstrong for top scorer. Um, <laughs> so there's probably an asterisk next to that that the main man in most people that house probably not played for half the season, but we'll uh, we'll move on from that. Um, just probably establishing people within the team now. Um, you've got somebody like Nyambi and Travis who've nailed the colours to the mast. The big thing for me is you're going into the last 15 minutes of matches not... Petrified that if they are winning, that they've got a chance of still holding on, basically. They've conceded 11 goals in the last 15 minutes, which was it was 27 last year. So that's a massive positive. And while the defensive stats probably aren't quite the improvement that we've seen on last season, I feel like they have defended better. And they've just become more accustomed to the division, I think. You feel like you go into most games... Thinking if they do turn up, they've got a uh, got a chance of winning. Jacob, from your perspective, what from the press box? What was the most joyous
1: part of the season?
3: If it would have to be my, my second game, um, actually, which is at Sheffield Wednesday, and um, I couldn't quite believe my eyes—a uh, full time whistle. But, you weren't the only um, one, my yeah, friend. That, I can assure you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I literally, I thought, is this what I'm, I'm going to be in for every week now? But yeah, that was that was one of the, the top moments of the season. When um Armour's chip against um Brentford as well, uh, that was I probably celebrated that a little bit too much in the press box. Uh it gave a little shriek. But there has been <laughs> some really good moments this season. Um yeah, and they're definitely up there.
1: There's some, there has been some quality goals, but I know I, I am going to defer now to my Sheffield Mafia. So do forgive me for this, but I think we do we owe ourselves a moment of gloating. So I'm going to I'm going to come to Mike first of all, then Stuart. Sheffield Wednesday away. Have we ever seen anything like that on our own doorsteps before?
5: Uh, people in my neighbourhood have not seen scenes like me coming home from that game before. Uh, I was a little bit too boisterous on that one, but amazing, wasn't it? And and admittedly, a little side story. It was my Little boy, Leo, six uh, years old, his first away game, and he's now got a really unhealthy expectation of away games going forwards. Um but yeah, insane, wasn't it? It was just a one-off, but brilliant.
1: Absolutely really terrific, good. yeah. Stuart, from your perspective?
6: It was great. I think um, the person got the most out of it, though, obviously was our Matt. Um, he's dined out on that at school for the rest <laughs> of the season.
1: <laughs> Did you do the shirt of hurt thing again?
6: We didn't. We haven't done it this year as much. Mainly because uh, the Wednesday fans didn't want to. Uh, and I think he, he Matt, chickened out because last time he did it was against Rotherham and he lost that one. Um, so, yeah, I think they're all too scared of losing.
1: <laughs> well, well, we'll wait and see, of course, about the points deduction as to whether we'll get a chance to play him or not next season. Um... It's looking like maligned friends, um, notwithstanding that we're, we've still got Barnes there next year. So that, that's not too bad. So that's all yeah. good stuff. Rotherham have come up as well. Of course, yes, yeah. The the ultimate and yo-yo teams. Michael, from your perspective, what was, what was the most heartwarming feature of the season? What was the thing that warmed the heart of your cockle? Well, the fact that we made a slight
0: improvement on last season, that as Rich and Jacob have said, we feel like an established championship side, Feels more confident going into every game. I can pick, you know, of the home games that we saw before lockdown and the ones we saw on TV. There were very few where we turned up where we thought, yeah, we were outclassed here. I thought we matched Leeds for a portion of the game and, but for a few tight margins, Gallagher's goal goes in against Leeds. It's a different game. I think they then showed why they were worthy champions. Fulham, I think, probably did us over a bit. They showed their quality, but no one else did. Which, again, then makes you want to reach in for Tony Mowbray's favourite
1: word. <laughs>
0: Let's have it. Frustrating. And that, and that's ultimately the emotion I was left with through the, the course of the season. Just when you think you're making two or three steps forward, we seem to go and shoot ourselves in the foot. And that can happen both within games, and um, like the Luton game, for example. Yeah. At the, at the very very end, and at the very very beginning, and then other times it's been quite joyous, particular joyous moments. I didn't, I chose not to go to the Sheffield Wednesday game, thinking I couldn't possibly put myself through it, and I hate going to Hillsborough anyway, for obvious reasons. So yeah, great. I'm glad you you all enjoyed it, but I thought Charlton and Stoke away were just brilliant. I thought they were a great team for performances from one to eleven, and the subs playing their role, and uh, and Brentford away as well was a great performance that ultimately. Mm. Again it showed why brentford are are in the playoffs tonight as as we're recording this and probably going to go through there's a good good side with some good 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 players particularly up top.
1: I thought you were going to say in goal as well
0: yeah, exactly, but we matched we matched teams like that, and that was the most heartening thing this season
1: yeah
0: but but for a few banana skins often self inflicted and the injuries that we had to key players at the wrong times of the season, I thought um Generally, we've made progress and we need to make progress in order to hang on to players who are looking at their careers because we're now dependent on young players coming into the squad. Very young team. And they need to think that they're in a club that's making forward, in forward motion. If not, people like Daryl Enhan, uh, Ryan Nyambe, Adam Armstrong, they'll leave. And Travis, Travis, of course, who who I still have uh, an irrational... um, Love for.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely come back to that theme in terms of what we think is going to happen over the next few weeks while the windows open. Lindsay, you are one of nature's optimists. What did you take from the season? What were the most memorable moments of it?
2: I don't know. It's been going on for so long. <laughs> like... I was at Barrow getting sunburned pretty much this time last year, and now the season has just finished. So, I I genuinely I can't remember. I feel like it's gone on forever. I think for me, I am the ultimate optimist, but actually, I think you guys are a little bit more optimistic than me because I think we have been very, very poor at times, and it's that that I've struggled with the Mm. the great performances and then the really, really poor performances, and I think that's what I need to get my head around. I'm kind of used to as being mediocre at all times and actually it is so frustrating to quote our mate mobs to see such good performances and then to see sometimes you're like who who are these people that have turned up it's not it is the same 11 because he always picks the same 11 regardless of whatever he just picks 11 players and puts them on the pitch and they just work it out for themselves it feels like but sometimes they're brilliant and sometimes it is quite questionable or maybe i'm just a bit harsh and a bit tired because it's been a long season. What's your
1: favourite bit though? What's the one memory that you will always cling on to? Um,
2: This season for me has been all about the relationships that I have at Rovers whether it's my home crew who I miss desperately or whether it's the Stoke was a brilliant away day for me Um, the last game I went to me Holly and Lucy went to Derby which was awful but we had a lot of fun Um, so I think regardless of what happens on the pitch this season will have taught me that it's more than football it's about the people that I go with
1: I think there's a a lot to be said for that Holly that's your cue then to come in What's your your take on the season? Anything that particularly lingers long in the memory?
7: I I kind of agree with with Linz. It feels like it's been going on for so long. Um, And it's kind of hard to sort of think back and look at the beginning of the season, especially like where we actually looked really promising. We, We were picking up results that we were like, oh, hang on, we could actually do quite well here. Around Christmas time, it was a bit of a... I guess a wake-up call because we drew some games that we probably should have won. It's been mixed. I think that's the only thing that I can say. I think the the biggest thing for me is going from watching us absolutely storm it and think we are one of the better teams in the championship to then watching us play like we've not even turned up. It's the the inconsistency for me is the most frustrating thing from this season. I that... um, but I went to some great away days this season, so I can't complain either. What was your favourite one? I really enjoyed Charlton. I, thought, I think that was really, really good. I enjoyed Stoke and Derby, even though it was a terrible performance. <laughs> I had a great time with the girls. But yeah, I think Charlton was probably one of my favourite ones this season.
1: And in terms of watching games on iFollow then, behind closed doors, what, what have we all thought about that? What was the, what's, the, what's the best game that anybody's watched on iFollow?
0: Cardiff away. You know, win's a win, and particularly one against a team who were above us in the table. And with the goal of the season, I mean, I never saw that coming. You know, what, what about the guys in the press box? I mean, what, what was it like to witness that in um, in real life?
4: Rich? I, I owe an apology for that, rather, because sometimes forget when you're at the game how far in front you are. So I was on the radio as well, so just, I normally just tweet goal, and I just put, wow. And then all the replies were like, "Rich, you're scaring me. What's happened?" Because the ball must have been probably on the halfway line with the Cardiff lad. And
1: to that point about the delay, though, that it, that is one of the twenty first century skills, I think, in in setting your, yourself up at home so that you don't give the game away. Yeah. So uh, the, the tricks of the trade here, which I'm happy to share, is uh, you have Gillette Soccer Saturday on the TV on a one minute plus delay, uh, and then you only the refresh your Twitter feed. When Rover, when the ball's out of play uh, on the halfway line, and then you you dare sort of like just scroll down a little bit more. But I have to say, you you've caught me out a couple of times this season, Rich, with your yeah. Goal. Well, I think
4: I think from speaking to Rover, I'm sure Bristol City made a request that like Rovers delayed their tweets from the game uh, just in case to, yeah. to not give the game away, but. It's one of those, you just get so used to doing. Yeah, it. Yeah. I think you do you do just forget. Um, I mean, it does make a, I miss. I mean, I miss Joe Rothwell's goal against Reading, just because you you're right in the corner, ball's gone out, and then you look up. There's no noise whatsoever, <laughs> and then the next thing you know, he's had a shot and it's <laughs> deflected and gone in, and there's no like there's a bit of crowd noise. Yeah. The rovers are pumping into the ground, but I mean, I don't I don't know how you guys receive that. Like I've just got so used to it now that. Um, it don't really make it don't really make a difference. I know away away clubs who come to you would do think it is a bit weird because it's probably the only one that I've um, I've experienced it in. But um, it, it is weird, like just things that you miss.
0: One of my highlights of I follow and um, but Daki was the um, the was it Red, the Reading game. He hmm. um, was the, the no, co summariser West Brom. Yes, it was the West Brom game. I thought he did very well a lot of his a lot of the insights i think people took you know the dressing room banter and all the rest of it but once you sort of get past that some of his insights into how mark Mowbray sets the team up how how they they would have interpreted west brom and dealt with their attacking threat i thought i thought it was really good and he, he proved actually what an intelligent footballer he is how he re- how he reads the game
1: the bit i particularly liked was that he um he knew all his stats yeah. so i i played cricket with with a number of people who can tell you that they took you know, Two for seventeen or three point eight overs from that end ten years ago and stuff like that. Wow! And when um, when Neil Yardley was talking to him about how many goals he'd scored, he he knew the lot. He got everything yeah. sort of like really uh, really nailed down, which I thought was uh, was very very interesting. Who was the best side that we came up against this year? Is it as obvious as just looking at the league table?
7: I don't think so because I think I can't remember who said it earlier, but I think we we stood up against Leeds really well. I think we could have beaten them twice this season. I don't think Leeds will do very well in the Premier League. Do you not? No, no. Let, it might be. A, let's a have bit that of a, conversation.
1: A, that
6: would be a good
7: one.
6: <laughs> I think that's a bit of wishful thinking as well, isn't it?
7: <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they will. I don't, I don't think they've got a big enough side. I don't think they've got a couple of players that are, uh, that are really good, but I don't think that as a team. I can't see them doing amazing things.
1: So, I think they've got the best one of the best coaches in the country.
7: Yeah, the manager definitely, but and I, I guess I'd be interested to see what players they're bringing.
0: I, I can't claim that this is any kind of inside insight, but um, my closest colleague at work is a lead season ticket holder and he his personal you know, the, the player he's the most negative about is their center forward Bamford. Yeah. All the, apart from the, the fact that he's a tough and all the rest of it, it's uh, he, he calls him door or Bamford because of the number of chances he miss, it misses. And, you know, I, I only have the benefit of the highlights packages, but he does. He misses half a lot.
1: He's, he's not a Premier League striker. I don't see him sustaining. Yeah, uh, no. but, but I do see no. him need sustaining.
4: Yeah, I was just going to say just from watching them on high, they are so well coached. Yeah. Like, everybody says that they play patterns of football and yes, they do, but you try and stop it. I just thought he would. They just, I mean, there was a sound chance. The Rovers had those three chances, didn't they, in no time. And they gifted him two goals. But just felt for the last 20 minutes, they just belced him into submission. Like, Rovers was so out. I've never yeah. seen Rovers just be literally, we've tried here we've, and yeah. we've got nothing. Um, and I think it was the same at their place. Yes, it was 2-1. And Rovers give it a bit of go the last 20 minutes. But I, I just think the way they're coached and he gets the best out of, like, Luke Aylin at right back. It's just has been a standard championship player is his, his looked a million dollars this yeah. season. So I think for me they're, they're, the, they're the team.
5: I'm not even sure you'd call it over the course of the whole game but the only time to me that we've looked genuinely scared all season of what might happen is the last half an hour at Brentford when we were 2-0 up. It was the only time because even against Leeds I still think we went out and had a bit of a go at them which other teams have not been inclined to do. I know a Leeds fan and he was like to be fair at the end of the game at least you came and had a pop at us and Yes, we got well beaten in the end, but we didn't look scared. But that last half hour at Brentford, it just looked literally like, oh, just. With, I know we're 2-0, but just batten down the hatches. Don't do any, just ride this storm out that's coming. And we got what came to us. But that was the only time to me we looked really, really anxious.
1: I can't think of why we would be remotely anxious at 2-0 up at Brentford there.
5: We didn't concede five. That is, the win. Is, there, is there, the win. is there
1: any precedent there that we should be wary of? The, the one
6: team that I remember uh, being impressed by against was Fulham, and the last time we played them. Um, I think we watched it on Telly, me and Matt. It was good football to watch.
1: The, the sides that I've seen, I think in, you've seen patches from the likes of Brentford, Fulham and West Brom. Leeds, for me, are a cut above. I think they'll be fine, Oli. We, we'll, we'll, we'll revert to this in 12 months' time. We'll see what happens. Absolutely, because <laughs> I, I, I suspect they will attract good players because I think there are players that Bielsa knows uh, assuming he stays i think if he goes all bets are off but the likes of banford uh, uh no they're not going to sustain in the premier league but i think they have the the wit and the wisdom to um to attract a higher quality of um of player and i think when they played arsenal in the fa cup uh i know they didn't win but my word they they toyed with them like a, a cat toys with a mouse for a long long period you're listening to the brfcs podcast so, Holly, who do you think was the best opposition player that we had to face?
7: Um, I think there's a couple. Um, Saeed Rama has got to yeah. be definitely up there. Um, I, I think if Brentford don't get promoted, he'll definitely be, be off. Well, there'll definitely be Premier League teams sniffing around. Um, and the other one is Mitrovic. Mitro is always on fire. <laughs> Although, so interestingly, I he was out me. the
1: other night, wasn't he? And Fulham turned in a really yeah. good performance. So it's a bit of a DAC syndrome going on there. As well as the good players, sometimes we find ourselves coming up against teams who shall we say are masters of the dark arts, straight out of the Jose Mourinho finishing school. Mike, you have some strong opinions on this subject, I believe.
5: Not really strong opinions in, it's just I'm a huge shit house enthusiast, uh, as Mr or, or Jacob will gladly confirm. Shithouse of the yeah, I've actually come up with a top 3 here which I did beforehand. Uh, In third place, I had Mr. Ben Pearson of Preston. Oh, yes. uh, Good call. Ewood Park spent about half an hour finding any excuse to lie on the floor and pretend that he'd been shot with a semi-automatic rifle. That was a big moment. Uh, And then in number two, just the whole of the Swansea team uh, at Ewood again. uh, Lock, lock, stock
1: and indeed barrel.
5: Exactly. The second half after they scored the penalty i forgot who scored it now but uh literally found any excuse again to to waste time one player went down injured and then realized he had to do some defending so he's miraculously better again i know we didn't beat barcelona but that scene at the end of them lying all on the floor looking crestfallen was amazing <laughs> and then in number one of course is mr lewis travis oh. uh, our own player as well so many highlights so many highlights i mean he uh, number one every game He's fallen over, he looks like he's about to die. The physio picks up his bag and he's already got up and kicked somebody else. Uh, he's been a real joy. And I think just for his sheer ability to wind someone up, I'll go back to the Hillsborough game as well to finish. The 5-0 win, by the hour mark, the whole Wednesday ground were trying to get on the pitch and strangle him. He'd annoyed everyone that so much. But he got, I think he even got subbed off on the 70-minute mark and they are all heckling him. And he just walked off and was like, eh. <laughs> and
4: just went down the tunnel. Amazing. I don't know if you saw it at Hillsborough, but Elliot Bennett actually got up off the subs bench and stood up at the back of the Rovers bench and applauded Travis (laughs) as he was (laughs) walking off to us. Incandescent rage of in the whole of South Yorkshire. It was. Uh, I was. That, that was one of the. That was one of my moments of the season. Uh, absolutely.
1: When I when I was in the office on the, the following Monday, I, I sit quite close to a very keen um, Wednesday fan, and he wandered over and he he, you know, he did the usual thing. you know, Oh, I should never have been sent off. Never have been sent off. and absolutely bloody disgrace to that. But that said, that said, you played well. You played well. But who is that little bastard, Travis? <laughs> and he's. <it is, laughs> He absolutely hates him. I said, would you would you like him in the centre of your midfield? And he said, well, of course. And, and that's it. the point. I think he's Robbie Savage with skill, if I may maybe. so uh, well.
4: well, I've done a piece for him. All right. I don't think he gets enough credit for how good a footballer he is. And I know he takes... Yeah. Offence is probably a strong one, but there's always a but with Mowbray. He'll say, Lewis Travis, fantastic lad, got all these attributes, but. And then he'll say, he needs to be better on the ball. But you look at his stats, he's got the best pass completion rate in the team. Yeah, There's only three players got more key passes than him. Interceptions is top. Block shots, block passes. He's at the top for everything. And this is without going into his heart, his bravery, his attitude. And I just think everybody gets so carried away, rightly, because of the thundering tackles and the showreel stuff that we see of him. I just don't think we're quite taking to... The goal at Middlesbrough, I don't think we're quite looking to how good a footballer he is. Yeah, possibly because
1: he doesn't score as many as perhaps you, you, you would want. Maybe that's something uh, can uh,
5: That pass at uh, Cardiff you laid on for Dominic
4: Samuel as well was absolutely outrageous. He, the uh, spin in the pass, fantastic one. of Yeah, him. best piece, bits of skill. If that were two guy, he'd be play really than that
0: for 10 minutes I think Travis has got this incredible ability to get to get himself fouled I don't mean he dives he doesn't you know we where we sit we can see quite close up when he when he drifts over towards the riverside but he'll leave his foot in just a split second longer than is necessary which basically means that the, a, a late tackle will become a definitive foul right in front of the referee and that takes courage and bravery as well and you know, it's not it's not a leg breaking challenge, but it's those where he just gets himself fouled and he's not afraid to get himself hacked into by whoever it is.
1: I think he um, said he out with Well, it, I don't know. It wasn't quite his debut, was it? But away at Portsmouth in the promotion season, yeah. when he came on a sub, and within yeah. <laughs> about five and yeah. a half minutes, had scythed down half the Portsmouth team and got himself a red card. So fair play, but you, you'll go far.
4: I was just going to say Luton for that.
1: Oh, yeah, um, of course. Yeah.
4: I, I don't know if you picked up on it on iPhone. It was an absolute shambles the last 10 minutes. I think they had five, but for time wasted.
1: They hid the multiple balls as well, didn't they?
4: Yeah. So around the ground, there's pro- I think there's maybe 10 cones with footballs on. They, they just went. Every single football was taken away. So they were whacking the ball into the stands and every single ball has just disappeared. And under EFL rules, you're only supposed to have 300 fans inside a ground. I mean, I can't count to 300, but I can guarantee there was a hell of a lot more than 300 really? people inside The, the noise was, in, just because it's a wood, like, wood everywhere,
1: yeah.
4: but it was just, I mean, rovers were going absolutely balmy. Like, fair play, because they were still giving it a go and they got nothing to play for, but yeah. balls were just disappearing left, right and centre. And it, it was pretty farcical by, uh, by the end of the game.
1: I did see a comment on Twitter, though, with which I wholeheartedly agree, was that if the roles were reversed... Wouldn't you want your club to do everything that Luton did that night? And the answer to that is a resounding yes. And I think you know, yeah, sometimes yeah. you've just got to doff your cap and say, fair play. I mean, yeah, you know, to have one shot on target <laughs> win three two <team laughs> is still uh, still well, absolutely tremendous stuff. What I'm gonna ask you to do to do now, guys, is uh, sum up the season in a single word. I'm just gonna go round my zoom window and I'll ask you your for your, uh, for your Thoughts, and then we'll see if we can build up a word cloud of Blackburn Rovers 2019-2020. So, Jacob, sum up the season in one word.
3: I'll go basic and say encouraging.
1: I thought you were going to say basic. (laughs) (laughs) We weren't that dirty, were we? Michael? Progressive. Much like most of my rock albums. Linz? Emotional. (laughs) Totesie moche.
2: Yep, that's two. I'm not allowed that, so just emotional. <laughs> Stu? Better.
1: Mike?
6: Uh, alcohol.
1: Explain. <laughs> <laughs> no explanation?
5: <laughs> I just, I've just noticed I've drunk a lot more this season, that's all. <laughs> really.
1: I think we all have at various points, particularly during lockdown. Holly?
7: Uh, roller coaster.
1: Ooh, that's interesting one. And Rich, finally?
4: Uh, familiar.
1: The old familiar failings. I think for me, uh, well, Michael's already said it of course and Tony says it in every single press conference, frustrating because there was an opportunity there. We didn't take it for many and various reasons, some of which were out of our control. I think the loss of Cunningham early in the season shouldn't be underestimated. The loss of Dak forced us to play in a different way. And actually, on a few occasions, we played better, which is interesting. So that's the end of part one. We'll come back in a second with part two. We'll review last season's predictions and see who was absolutely on the money. So as the uh, famous American baseball coach Yogi Berra once said, it's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. Well, this time last year we made some predictions and I just want to revisit some of these with some of some of our pal- panellists. Um, we asked them who was going to be the first club to change manager. I think myself and Scott Sumner of 4,000 Holes called out Jan Seawitt at Huddersfield. Uh, Mike and Cami predicted Scott Parker at Fulham and as far as I'm aware, he's still very much in the job and on the way to that, perhaps leaving Fulham back to the Premier League. So, uh, uh, Linz, you predicted Charlton and Holly, you predicted Millwall. Interestingly, Charlton, I would have expected, but I think the, the, somehow Boyer has stayed stayed on in there. And I think Millwall was one of the strangest appointments. I never would have thought that um, Neil Harris would leave there and then find himself up up at Cardiff. Quite a quite a bizarre one. Michael, you said Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, one that I want to call out, though, is not on the panel tonight, but our good friend from the 1875 podcast, uh, Tom Schofield, bless him, he said Mar- Marcello Bielsa would be the first manager to go. which I think, I think Mr- that was wishful
7: thinking. <laughs> yeah,
1: Mr. de Lapp and I called out last season. Uh, we were all miles out on predicting the number of goals that Brereton and Gallagher would score. I mean, in the end, Sam got seven. Ben got his annual goal. And again, uh, some wag on Twitter said... Ben Brereton there maintaining his incredible record of scoring for Rovers in every season in which he appears, which I I really, really like. Uh, Michael, you said that Ben would score five and that Sam would score ten, which I think put you furthest out. You were the most optimistic of all the people who who did predictions. There was a lot of votes for Dara Lenehan. There were a lot of votes for Lewis Travis. Uh, Linz, who did you predict would be the Player of the Year? Adam Armstrong. Have, Have we got evidence?
2: Well, I've told all my friends that that's who I predicted, and I'm pretty convinced that I did. So I'm going to say yes, and if anyone is sad enough to listen back to last year's and wants to tell me I'm wrong, that's fine, because it will save people telling me I'm wrong about Ben Berrettin. So one way or the other, I can be wrong about something. That's fine.
1: And the the big one, the one that earns all the points and gets the Mike DeLapp prediction trophy... Uh, last year's winner was Scott Sumner, I think. But he's handed over his crown this year because Scott predicted that we would finish 13th. Holly predicted that we would finish 13th. Mike, you said 12th, which is incredibly realistic for someone who's normally so rabidly optimistic. Looking down my list... Stuart, you said 8th. Michael, you said 8th. And lins you said 6th. You said we would be playing in the playoff match tonight. When I put it out on Twitter... 64% of people said we will be outside the playoffs but top half so if anything that proves the whole wisdom of the crowd but the winner of the Mike Delap prediction trophy sadly can't be with us tonight but it's Cammy who predicted we would finish 11th so he got it absolutely bang on so Cammy can uh, can protect his trophy next season we'll get his predictions before next season starts this is the So welcome back to part three. And what we're going to do now is we're going to consider the summer uh, that's in prospect. And by summer, I mean the barely indecent few weeks that we've got from the end of the last season to the the start of the next. What what do Rovers need? We've released a lot of players. Jacob, what do you think is required to keep the squad competitive for next season?
3: Um, A first-choice goalkeeper and a second-choice goalkeeper would be an ideal place to start um uh, a new center back partner for Daryl Lenahan would also be on the on the agenda a left back would be nice i've seen a lot of cri- uh, criticism of Amari Bal he was someone who obviously i've seen him come through at birmingham but during the, like the, the couple of weeks that during between january and march um i felt as, as though, as his confidence grew sort of progressed a little bit you could see him um from a defensive aspect he was was perhaps a lot more resolute obviously in in an attacking perspective he wasn't great but yeah I think competition at left back is something which needs highlighting perhaps another another centre mid
1: what about up front given that we've lost Danny Graham
3: yeah uh, obviously Dominic Samuel as well Um, both are Perhaps one more striker you sort of there's an underlying feeling that maybe moby's a big fan of Jack Vale and Dan But were whether it 's like too soon for them to make the step up next season sort of remains to be seen, but at least one striker would be a priority
1: Rich from your perspective what, what do you think rovers need and, and and what what have you heard, if anything, on the grapevine about potential incoming
4: I think Venkis seem relaxed is the noises I'm getting about. I don't think they're quite head up about the budget thing as probably, you know, a lot of people are. Um in that probably, you know, normally it is a couple of weeks into the summer before that is sorted. A lot for me will come down to the formation. If you're gonna play three in midfield, you need another central midfielder if even if you don't get down in because if you're relying on Travis Johnson and Evans and Downing, I think you do need another one. If you're gonna play four, two, three, one they need a number nine, so it's it's where you're going to get greedy because you definitely need a goalkeeper, you need a backup goalkeeper, you need a centre half. They're things have been crying out for a long time, so you need to prioritise them. And then it's where where do you get, where do you balance the money out? Loans are going to be huge for everybody in the Championship. It's a market that Mowbray's done pretty well. Yes, um, I will say. In my player of the season across the championship, I think there's a lot of Fulham sitting in front of the back four who's been post lockdown been absolutely outstanding. So it's where you're going to balance the money. I think Adderabayo was a very good signing. I don't, but there's not many centre backs like Adderabayo. So do you just completely just rip up it, rip up the uh, what we've seen this season and just go for a a big ugly header and kicker alongside Lennon or are we going to try and play out from the back again so I think a lot will come down to we'll learn a lot probably about how nobody wants to play is Dak going to play in a false nine role and is Holtby going to do that and then they're going to have Brereton, Gallagher and Armstrong either side or are we going to go out there and are we going to say Sam's our number nine are we going to buy a number nine it's where the options are going to be but if if money is going to be tight as we're going to expect, if they're going to supplement with the young players, I think loans are going to be massive. But if there's any money to spend, it's got to be spent at centre-half and in goal. We, yeah. I don't think Rovers can afford to go through another season with without finding a David Rea replacement. I know people had the views on Raya. I think Rovers was that they let Ray go for three, which could rise to five. Accepting that in a couple of years, it could be a 15 million pound goalkeeper, but also it could be a 1.5 million pound goalkeeper. We'll see in the next few weeks where he's going to go. Yeah, but to not have a permanent replacement, I think Mowbray knew from from day one that that would be a talking point throughout the season. And I think since Walton was brought in, it's been arguably the biggest talking point of the season.
1: To so what extent do you think Mowbray recruits to a desired formation? Or is he more likely to just recruit players that he
4: thinks yeah, can do a job? I them think, the think they'll just recruit recruit players because yeah. I think he's said from pretty much, although they have been ex- exclusive, not almost exclusively four two three one, I think he's said they're not the strongest team in the division, so they need to mix things up to keep the opposition guessing. I don't think he thinks Rovers are good enough to do what Liverpool do and say, we play 4-3-3, we play with these three strikers, these three midfielders, these four at the back. He doesn't think Rovers are good enough for that. So, unless you're going to go out there and be able to recruit ready-made championship players, which I don't think Rovers are. So, I think the biggest thing for this summer is get a centre-half, get a goalkeeper, and then get the best out of... The players that he's got. Mowbray says he signs assets and attributes, which the players that he's got have assets and attributes. It's about fitting those assets and attributes into an 11 that can work with the players that he's got. Because if you ask most people, they'd probably have six or seven definite stuff. I don't think anybody would probably have a preferred 11 or formation for Rovers, um, particularly last season. So I think it's just about getting. Your key men fit in the best position for as many games as you can get and fiddle around them and just try and get the most out of the players that you've got already.
1: Do you know, have the, the EFL decided yet whether we're adopting the five substitutes option?
4: I, I think I think it will. I think it will get the go-ahead. Because um, I think
1: that that introduces, well, we saw it after the lockdown, we were the 60 to 65th minute throw on the football manager yeah. style uh, three it's or four...
4: It's just a completely different game. Yeah. Um, and it's so easy to bat time out because with no fans, there's no like hurrying up of anything. The referees just let things slide. The ball goes out. There's no rush for anything. So, and whether that, and are you going to come on to people back, but will, it, will a team look to supplement with younger players or will somebody look at an Armstrong and think, well, there's a lad who's a 100 meter runner can stick the ball in the back of the net. Are we going to take a chance, spend? Ten or twelve million, buy him, chuck him on the bench, and bring him on and see what he does. Mm. It's whether Premier League teams, you know, how much they're going to think into it. Really,
1: which of the youngsters do we think can can step up and make the grade into the first team next season? Sure,
5: and I don't want to shut the debate down mega early, but anyone not answering Joe Rankin Costello to this is is wrong. Uh, I'm not, I want to stress that very early. I've, is he not I've already feel- there?
1: I was going to say he's he's yeah. in, isn't he?
5: No, but I mean we're talking about as in he's had a good little fleeting end, hasn't he? At the end of the season, in a position that ideally he's not going to be in in the long run, Uh, just purely lack of options at left back. But from watching him, and I'm going back to that uh, cup game we watched at uh, Bramall Lane, the League Cup game when we got beat two one, he was at right wing, left wing, scattered around. I think he even had a little stint at right back, and in every of those spots he looked absolutely tailor made for it. And I think. You might say I'm cheating because he's already played, but I think next season could be a real breakout one for
1: him. Yeah, I, I think he, I think he's in the squad now, categorically. Scott Wharton, who's seen Scott Wharton play and thinks he can make the, the step up because he was in the first team, wasn't he? Three years ago, he made his debut. Season four. went down. Four, four years, nine. it was just before
4: four. I came. Yeah, August 2016. It'll come down to what Mowbray thinks because I think he's played three times under Mowbray. It was let him go out. Don't. I guess having been a centre half, Mowbray, he likes to see broad shoulders. Which is probably Carter's probably a bit more physical than the Wharton is. Mm. Wharton's a better in the air, so it's going to be a mad scramble. I think they will bring a centre half, and then it's probably going to be between McGlure Grace, and Wharton Carter, just to um, just to supplement him really.
1: So, what do we think is going to happen? Who wants to get their crystal ball out in terms of the sorts of players and the sorts of positions that we're going to recruit
0: well my biggest fear Ian isn't so much what we think or who will bring in I mean there's a there's a guy left United Manchester United called Kieran O'Hara he might be out of our price range he's a Republic of Ireland international and he's been getting splinters in his backside on the bench at Manchester United and there's an expectation that that clown who's been at Sheffield United, Henderson will be making his way back to Old Trafford at some point because
1: is he still their player? Is that right? Yes, I'm. i right about that. Yeah. Chelsea are interested in him apparently.
0: Right, Rich is absolutely spot on. We 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 need a goalkeeper and a, and a second choice one, as Jacob said, is a absolute massive priority, and clearly Mowbray knows that. I don't know enough about the young players that are coming through, but the the one that we've not mentioned, who has flitted in and out of the squad, and had some horror shows as well is is john buckley and for me i think he's started to show a little bit of lewis travis in his game he's got a swagger on the ball he's more confident on it he's picked out some great passes and he's capable of some supreme acts of shithousery as well which uh, he displayed in the game at charlton he, he was the one where the, the, the charlton crowd Railing against him for some of his antics yeah, on that game, I so I think he's got he's got a bit about him. I'd like to see more of him in a in a rover shirt. I don't I, I don't know in any great detail what Mowbray thinks of him, Rich.
4: Uh, Buckley's the one he, he has been for a while. I eh? think Buckley is. Twenty million pound man, and can go on to to big things. Uh, I feel he's been a bit harshly treated by the fans, to mm, be honest. I did um, as well. probably didn't help when he came into the team those games over Christmas just after Dak had gone out. But he looks like a boy, doesn't he? So I think he's an easy target, and I think that's what Mowbray's felt that people have got on his back. But yeah, he's he's well well thought of. Got but got a big future for me.
2: Um, I was just going to say, I think that's really an important point about the role that we play. I think Mowbray can make the decisions, he can bring certain players through the youth team, he can bring in certain players, but... If and when we get back, we've got a role to play embedding those players in and giving them the opportunity and the time to make mistakes. I love Buckley. We call him young pup in our group. But he gets more of a chance than some of the more established players for us. We're not as critical because we think he needs that support. Um, So I think if we ever get back into a football ground, we've got a responsibility to look after the young ones that are coming through and to give them the time to develop. Fans
1: don't do that. Has everyone seen that video clip from years ago when uh, Harry Redknapp was being lambasted by West Ham United fans at a fans meeting? And I can't remember the name of the guy now, but uh, he was being castigated for selecting Frank Lampard. And the, this this one guy said, "Yeah, it's ridiculous, it's ridiculous, you should be picking this other lad. Here. It's, how on earth is he in the first team? And Harry Redknapp was just sort of saying, he's going to come through, he's going to come through, he's going to come through.
2: Isn't, and I think criticism yeah. is fine. And I think, you know, we've got some big money signings that haven't stepped up. And I think it's more than fair to say of those players with your price tag and the opportunities you've had, we expect more. But if we're asking people who are used to playing in front of 100 at most in an under-23s game to come in and step up for your Bradley Dax, your Corey Evans, your, those type of people, yeah. we've got to afford them the chance to to do that. Because we haven't got £10 million floating around for your established player so they're going to make mistakes they're going to drop in and out of the team and Buckley is a better player for me for having been sent off bizarrely I think after lockdown he's come back and he's been better
1: that could be his Lewis Travis sent off at Portsmouth moment yeah. I think and I know where um, Rich was on the podcast probably just over a year ago and I think I asked the question was who who is it that's coming from the academy and you said then Buckley is the one he's the one to keep an eye
4: yeah, on I, I, I mean I don't like to Big fan, but I think he's been at the football club since he's nine years old. If you want to, if you want anybody to do well at your football club, surely it's a lad who's, yeah, he's been, been ball boy, he's been there yeah. since he's been since he's nine. The kid can play, yeah, he can. he's got he's got ability. Um, and it's probably because he's been asked to go in the team and he's sent on with 20 minutes to go, and it's fine as a goal, fine as yeah. a pass. Um, and he so has on a couple of occasions. Stay.
1: Yeah, he's, he's, he has a rescue situations. Well, if he keeps
4: keeps kicking it off opposition players and it lands in the back of the net, which he's found a bit of a, <laughs> a, a penchant to do, it can it can keep that up.
1: So, as well as bringing players in, we, we know what the gaps are. How concerned are we about losing players, and where do we think the bar would need to be set in terms of Vinkis accepting bids?
8: Here's Cammy with some insight from his Indian contacts. Basically, the financial position up until this season has been that they've been supporting Rovers unwaveringly, paying all the bills, um, anything that's been coming up, they've been sort of financing it. And, you know, while there's no immediate risk in terms of Rovers going under or anything like that, but the financial position is, is quite precarious. Um, Venkis, in terms of the pandemic, haven't really been hit as like most other companies because they're a very local market. It's for goods that everyday goods, you know, eggs, or, you know, dairy products, etc., that people need. So they've been insulated. What Venkis are looking at is h- how long can we continue financing the Rovers the way they have been doing in terms of transfer markets, various other bits. So it, there seems to be a suggestion now coming from within Venkis and these guys in India um, who, who kind of well-connected, saying that they are making decisions in terms of how they proceed going forward and that's why there's been this delay in confirming budgets and Tony knowing what what he's got to to spend. Suggestion is that um, they want some money to be raised from within the club i.e we've got to be able to sell some players uh, maybe to to raise some cash so that that cash flow that they have to provide is sort of supplemented by whatever we we can get from selling players. Tony's stock is still high with with the owners. You know, he's, yes, he spent money on on Gallagher and Braderton, which hasn't really worked. So that's tune of between sort of 10 to 12 million uh, them to have come, but he's also bought in players, you know, just Dak and Armstrong alone between them. I think combined fee will be around two and a half million. And if we sold them both, in, in a normal market, you could be looking at 18 to 23 million combined for, for them to. Whether Venkis are willing to continue to finance expenditure in the transfer market, or are they now just going to go to a default position, which is what seems to be the suggestion that any money that needs to be spent on players has to be raised through sales, and they will cover the basic costs of running the club so the financial liabilities that the club has those are covered any uh, guarantees that the auditors want in terms of um, to to sign off you know the accounts going forward for the next 12 months any guarantees they want put into place uh, they're willing to do that financial situation is 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 bad for Rovers Um, if Venkis decide to pull funding that they've been providing um, you know within three months, we'd be in a similar position to uh, Wigan or, or Bolton previously, where we wouldn't be able to, to meet, um, meet our running costs. We're totally reliant on, on, on venkies So, Dak was
1: obviously going to West Brom. That, that's what the word on the street was before he got injured. I don't know how much truth there is in that, but people whose uh, inside knowledge I respect say that that was happening. Now, We've got Dak, Travis, Armstrong, Lenehan, potentially Nyambi, who are the crown jewels that you build a side round. How concerned are we?
6: We're the kind of club now where we should expect to lose at least one of our big players over the summer every year, because we're not, we're not the kind of club that has a lot of money behind us anymore. I'm, I'm a big fan of the way Brentford Work, um, you know, they've been compared to sort of like the Money Ball of football, haven't they? And they they run their club on bringing players in, building them up, and then selling them on. They've made 120 million pounds just in player sales, and I think with the facilities that we've got at at Brockhall, we should be a really attractive proposition for youngsters that want to make it in the game it's not necessarily a question of should we be afraid of losing players in the summer I think we need to get used to it and we should expect it and it's going to be the way or it should be the way that we we can survive in in the modern football climate where teams like us can't have a big benefactor pumping money in and things like that so yeah, for me it's not necessarily a case of should we be worried about losing players. I think we should expect it. And to a certain extent, as long as we've got the pipeline of, you know, Buckley and, and players like Carter and who can step up and and fill fill the void, then I don't think we should be scared of it in particular.
1: Well, I think the, the post COVID football world, if you're not getting gate money in there aren't many other ways you can get big money in to keep the, to balance the books and selling no. players. Granted, in a depressed market, wouldn't be it wouldn't be the right thing to do. But we're susceptible, I suspect.
6: I think financial fair play is another another aspect, someone else that needs looking at post COVID, like you say, because it's just not. If you if you're not getting the gate receipts. How can you? How can you pay your players as a percentage yeah. of your income? Yeah. So it just doesn't work post no, COVID, no. does it? So
1: I think I think the whole of football is going to be in something of a shake now Holly, how much do you fear losing one of our crown jewels?
7: It feels like we now have a completely different team to the team that we fell in love with um, in our promotion season from League One. So it already feels like we have kind of we've lost those sweetheart players, and we're not maybe as attached to some of the other players that we have now. um, I'd be probably more gutted to lose Travis than I would be for Dak right now because I think he has been such an integral player to our team. And I think the way that he plays is what I love about the club. He is one of those players that reminds me a little bit like Paul Dickhoff where he just runs around, he's always there, he goes in 110% um, and I I would be more worried about losing him than I would be about death. Yeah.
1: Michael, how big a summer is this for Tony Mowbray and how big is it compared to the summer after relegation? I, I think it's his biggest
0: summer since he became our manager, actually. He knew, he knew what the backbone of the side was when we when we walked away from Brentford having been relegated. And he knew that the rebuilding job he needed to do. And he absolutely did it. He kept the players he wanted and he got shot of the ones that, that weren't equal to the task. I think this time around, he's um, we're at a real transition point. Because for everything that everyone said, we, we probably will lose one of those big players, much as I don't want that to happen. And, and I think all the financial issues will be coming to, to, to bear on all of football. So it'll have radically distorted the transfer market. There might not necessarily be the big money to come in. So it might not be the choice of Rovers to want to sell one of those players as an asset because the income that that we could get from that might not be what we thought it was. It's also going to be an issue that those players are looking at their own careers and Mm -hmm. their own career trajectory and the choices that they'd make. And if I was Dara Lenehan's agent at the moment, you'd be thinking... Now's the time, 25 years of it or 26, to step up because you could be playing in a World Cup or you could be playing in a major tournament and you ain't going to be doing that playing for Blackburn Rovers in mid table in the Championship.
1: I suspect as well the Premier League, of course, is so much more insulated from the COVID reality and any side going up and any side that's come down with the parachute payments is going to have a massive advantage and can almost like cherry-pick which players they going to go for?
5: Just a bit of a thought. I'm sort of marrying the two last points together to create a whole new one. But uh, Mr. Taylor's saying about Daryl Lenihan and looking to move on. I think out of all of them, especially about how much we're bleating on about losing defensive, you know, how much we need defensive replenishments and goalkeeping replenishments. If we go ahead and lose Lenehan at this point, that's absolutely like you know suicide. Quite frankly, given the fact that he's the one absolute key dependent in there at the moment we can't afford to lose him if we are going to lose him jack the price up something unreal yeah because uh, you know you can talk about other positions like dak i'm a big dak fan love him fine footballer by any going rate going but if he is to be sold to generate money it's in an area of the field where we can affordably toggle things around and actually live without him and yeah. i don't take any joy in saying that as well
1: yeah, we've had seven months of practice haven't we that's the reality um, you know, no player is bigger than the club Unless, as I was reminded on Twitter this week You sell your star centre forward to Newcastle United For £15 million And then you pay the consequences for every season thereafter Big summer coming up There's no doubt about that Thanks for your uh, your comments there We'll just take a little break now Then we'll come back and we'll just wrap everything up With looking beyond Rovers And just thinking Well, What's going to happen to football Post-Covid
6: Oh well, wouldn't you
5: know it? Once again, bumped into Tony Mowbray here at, here at Brockhall. Tony, how'd you take your
0: brew, mate? Right, basic, really. Uh, tea, quite strong. Uh, two sugars, and uh, and I always drink out of my favourite mug. Oh, which uh, w- w- which one is it? Oh yeah, it's good, and it? I got it from the Middlesbrough store. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's uh, from
5: yeah. Oh no no no, Tony, not the middle the the Rovers one.
0: Oh, this one, right? Yeah, you can get them personalised at. Um, at the terrace store, and of course, and as uh, manager of Rovers, I've got you can get them personalised with all the different players of your choice.
6: Oh, which you know, which 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 players would you have then?
0: Well, you, you obviously, you've got your, your Lenahans, your Ducks, um, you know, Danny Grims, you know, proper proper professional footballers. But obviously I've chosen my favourite, Elliot Bennett.
5: Oh, of course. Well,
0: Joe Rothwell's one of my favourite players. Any plans to get a mug for him? He'll just have to wait his turn, I think. Yeah. But you know, if you want to get one of these, get your hands on one. You just have to go to the uh go to the terrace store and enter BRFCS at checkout. Oh well that's that's brilliant then. Thank you, Tony. Yeah, it's fine, but remember, only Tony drinks out of the Elliot Bennett mug. You'll have to get yourselves one
4: with I don't know Ben Brereton on it.
5: Oh, uh, okay then.
4: When they do, when they do open the grounds up, who is going to say? To, it's an own personal choice. So you know, if you if you've got a season ticket, does that mean that you're willing to go back into a ground? There is going to be no, you know, flick of a switch and it would be like right, everything's back to normal. Now you're willing to go back into a football stadium. It's going to look and feel different. I've been in a. Fortunate position where I've, I've been able to go back into into grounds. It has been different. There has been stuff that you've had to sign up to, but it's it's a small price to pay for, at the end of the day, being a Rovers fan who's been privileged and lucky to go in and watch Blackburn Rovers live, which, I mean, it's been th- three horror trips on midweek nights to Cardiff, Millwall Luton back-to-back. <laughs> but how many people would have given anything to to go, there'll have been so many people who've lost records of not missing Rovers yeah. matches for, yeah. so if, if there's me complaining about it, being stuck on the M1 for three hours, which I'm not going to mention on the way to Luton, it's just something that's something that you do. Um, and I think it will come down to personal choice. And if you're stuck with I follow for, for a little bit longer. I think that's going to be the one thing. It's, you know, when fans are allowed back into grounds, does iFollow suddenly stop and yeah. we say that, well, you can come back into a ground now, so you're not allowed to watch via a stream? Um, I think there's a lot of sensitive decisions to be made. Do you know what? I
1: don't think they will. I think the genie's out of the bottle on that one. They're just on that point about travelling away midweek. Linz? I know for a fact that you once went to Bournemouth on, was it a Tuesday evening or maybe a I Wednesday did Bournemouth
2: evening? on a Tuesday night. A, a Cardiff, the Shane Duffy night, Tuesday night. Swansea, Wednesday night, ended up in a farmer's field. That was two, joyous. Two Wednesday
4: nights, Swansea, they've caught four in the last two seasons. So hopefully yeah. we don't get that. Again I on the, totally uh, relate to your stuck on
2: the M1 drama, Rich, but I get it. Obviously, home games, away games, every game is like a six yeah. hour round trip.
5: <laughs> yes. Just jumping in, but Linz, is that Bournemouth game, the one where uh, Conway had made you a video and then you couldn't see it for about five hours because you were stuck in traffic?
2: No, I was I was still stuck in the car park at Bournemouth and then couldn't leave because I was crying so much that I couldn't drive my car. And then the first person I found was at the services, like some random woman in McDonald's, who when you could hug people, I ran up to and hugged Those and said, would you like to watch my video? That's an actual true story. Never seen it since. Yeah. Fabulous. She was
6: a Rovers fan, and not just some. No, no, she was him. just
2: ordering a Big Mac. <laughs> yeah, she was. She was just getting a Big Mac at like midnight. I was crying, giving her my iPhone. Yeah, happy Fantastic. memories.
1: <sighs> Jacob, what what was what's, what's the regime been like for ju- for journalists? Then, what what have you had to do? Talk us through what the protocols are about going into grounds whilst this has been going on.
3: Uh, I mean, thankfully, we, um, we didn't have to take a test, which after hearing some of the players do it during while waiting for Moby during press conferences sounded absolutely vile. But no, they they had like a, sort of like mini tents uh, scattered outside the, the ground and you'd, you'd go in, you'd fill in a, reg, a registration form, which had like a, a mini health questionnaire saying if uh, you felt any of the symptoms. Then you'd have your temperature check. Then you'd get like a, an zone. Pass, uh, and you'd walk through. You loads of hand sanitizer. It literally, I could, I, I should have nicked a couple of bottles and, and started telling <laughs> particularly them from up. Luton. Yeah, one hundred percent. And then yeah, you, you go through into into the Jack Wall stand, and then just up like normal. Obviously, all the like the, the press room was was cut off. But you weren't allowed to go in there. Um, and then yeah, just being in the ground was was, was surreal. Um, and I, I do feel immensely grateful to, to have the opportunity to go in
1: so presumably you were, you were all dotted around in the stand in in the press box or were you sprinkled across the stand to uh, give you great uh, No, we were, i think we had
4: Well, i was on the same row as jake i think we had three seats between us right Rovers seemed to think that social distance was across rather than behind so I've got have somebody sat directly behind me but <laughs> sneezing Rovers. all over the we back had, of your yeah. head. <laughs> we had that problem at Wigan
3: as well and Andy Bays um, yeah. I think go at the Wigan Radio team. Manchester yeah. right behind
4: him. Uh, Fantastic. I mean Leeds was great there. I don't know, the v- Victor Orta. I don't know if you've seen him from Leeds. He was just like a fan, like shouting at the linesman when Bam, you know, when Bamford was flagged offside. Then yeah. when they rounded Walton, they cleaned him out, and only got yellow cards. There was some, some were a bit more vociferous than uh, than <laughs> others. but it was it? Was a weird experience.
1: How comfortable do we think we'll be going back into grounds?
6: To be honest, I don't think it'll bother me. I, I'll be quite happy when when it's allowed. Yeah, you're relaxed. It's yeah. It's it's not catching. It's not catching. Uh, the disease that I'd be afraid of, it's more what I'm going to see on the pitch.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Mike, yourself? I, I mean, the only
5: thing I'm, it sounds a bit wary of other people almost, but I think we've all got to have a little bit more sort of responsibility for ourselves. Like, you know, it sounds bad, but like, if you feel like you're getting some coming down or coming under the weather or something like that, it's about being able to put your hands up and say, look, I'll just give it a skip. You know, I won't, I'll think of other people. I won't bring that into their world, et cetera, which sounds horrific but I don't trust everybody to be able to make that decision no. for themselves I think that temptation to get in there get on the beer and get in the ground will be too too great so I'll, I'll shrug it off and I'll I'll personally get on with it when I get the chance to go I'll go but I'll, I'll always have that in the back of my
1: mind put it that way. what fascinates me is there are a number of clubs who've got season tickets up for sale uh, I think there's a significant proportion that haven't yet but what you know what are you buying and what are the circumstances? It's almost like it feels like it's a charitable donation if you buy something. Fair play for people that are prepared to do that. I think I'm, I very definitely fall into the cautious camp. Uh, I guess that's partly due to my medical history, partly due to having um, elderly parents and, and in-laws and stuff like that. So I, I don't think I'll rush back in, but I think it is one of those. Obviously everybody's circumstances are different and it will be good to get back into a ground. I think we can all agree on that. So, who's had a good lockdown? Who's had a bad lockdown? Uh, Rovers, I think, generally their their players had a, had a good lockdown, particularly brother Johnson. Rich, what 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 went on behind the scenes there?
4: Yeah, I think to take to take it upon yourself, footballers. I think I mean probably a lot of people maybe saw the, the headlines that came out from the health secretary and thought footballers were jumping on the bad bandwagon, bandwagon. But I think a lot of that um, work was already in play. Rovers were keen to. Keen to play their part, and I think at the end of the day, that's one thing you do have it. they there are some some good lads in there with with big hearts. I think that probably shone through throughout the the whole of lockdown, really, without the with the uncertainty that was going on. I think um, the whole club rallied round um, really well. Yeah,
1: I agree with that, Michael.
4: I was watching a
0: podcast recently with Patrick Grant from Community Clothing which I might have spoken about before, which is owns the Cups and Clegg factory in Blackburn. And he was mentioning what a great role Rovers have played in helping to distribute equipment and getting the message out. And I think more than ever, through this lockdown, communities need institutions to step up to the plate that have got that kind of purchase in their local communities to show leadership. Because I think the public showed incredible spirit at the beginning of this pandemic, and I think they've been let down by national leaders, particularly in this country. And I think institutions that can show good community leadership, I think will hopefully reap the rewards. But they certainly have to step up to the plate. And I've been really proud to be associated with Blackburn Rovers as a supporter,
1: hmm. even
0: though I don't live in the area. I think they've, done, they've really played their part.
1: Yeah, I think they had an excellent lockdown. Somebody else who I want to call out, uh, obviously, got national um, coverage was Marcus Rashford. His uh, his campaign and the way that his people have handled him and managed his profile during that period was uh, absolutely first class.
6: When I've talked to people about this before, a lot of people think I'm having a go at footballers, you know, like Johnson and, and and Rashford, and and anybody that does any fundraising and stuff for things like this. But I'm absolutely not. They shouldn't have to. The people that are looking after the people that are ill whether they're in hospitals or whether they're in nursing homes or whatever, shouldn't have to rely on the charity of footballers to get what they
1: need. Couldn't agree more.
6: They've been massively let down by the people at the top. So it's absolutely not a dig at anybody that's done any kind of fundraising. I think you're all wonderful, but you shouldn't have to.
2: I also think flipping that, though, we're going to be in a situation where as people who are purchasing something, we're almost going to be making a donation because when you come back to season tickets and not just for Rovers, but for a number of clubs, I'm giving £400, £500 for my season ticket, not knowing what sort of product mm. I'm going to receive I would always probably have done that because I'm proud to have my season ticket. I'm proud to have my seat, but Rovers' conduct for me makes me want to invest my money. I'm lucky that I haven't, you know, the pandemic hasn't affected my work, but their act has made me want to support them more. They've stepped up for my community, although I don't live there. They are my community. They've stepped up for them. Now I will step up for Rovers. So I think they've benefited in that sense as well. I think, People will be more willing to work with them, and their p r in these next couple of weeks is crucial and you know I hope they play it the way they 've played it so far to get people wanting to engage with yeah, them I totally agree i, th- I think
1: the p r side of things is uh, is absolutely crucial and it builds up goodwill it means that people are far more likely to want to spend money with the club and all the rest of it and I think what they did was first class. There's
5: just one adding into that, but it just came to me a minute ago. The other one I really enjoyed was uh, Bradley Dack did the, um, it was surprising, like a uh, female NHS work. Uh, oh, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Ryan set that up,
5: did I mean, people can get really cynical about that and say like, oh, you know, it's like a PR stunt, yada yada yada. But they all, they've all, they all, and it, not just that, they've all gone out of the way just to do little bits, just to, you know, just to get everyone's spirits up and, and, and you know, it, in its purest form is the nicest thing to do because people will say, you know, what the footballers matter, they're just footballers, they just use their feet, they don't contribute anything. But every- looks up to these people and little things like that do make a big difference.
1: Totally agree, yeah, full marks to Ryan for sorting that out, of course friend of the pod. Uh, We can't let this moment pass, there's been um, an event in the footballing world of cataclysmic proportions, I think, in the last couple of weeks and given that we've got a Birmingham City supporter on the line, we really, really must call this out Um, Jude Bellingham, Jacob um, was it 42 or 43 appearances four goals and they've retired his shirt do explain the rationale there please to a cynic.
3: Do I do I really have to comment on this? Oh, so. Um <laughs> um I think we've sort of looked at it as in he's one of one of our own in a way and um obviously he's, he's got a great rapport with the uh, with the Birmingham fans and he's he's sort of idolized and uh, I do think it's a very very extreme step. I couldn't believe it. I thought it was at the check of what it was yes. when um, when they announced it. Um yeah. but, but they've even got um, a mural as well now um, just outside St Andrews um, by one of the ticket gates uh which has Bellingham's face plastered all over it. Fantastic. Um, so they've they've gone a bit extreme with it, yeah.
1: I did uh, I posted on Twitter and said uh, I, I can't I'm struggling to think of a Rovers equivalent. And I was thinking of the likes of, this This, this is one for the teenagers, uh, Graham Moseley back in the day, and Franz Carr. And then somebody pointed out the most obvious one that would have been Rover selling a kid uh, at the height of his powers, and of course, Phil Jones.
3: Bill Jones yeah. Bare, you know, Barely was, one season
1: yeah. experience uh, gets sold to Man United but we didn't retire his shirt so we obviously missed a trick there I think we should send a send a note still to Mr Waggett Still to do it <laughs> <laughs> There's still time for him to come back and, and be a loan signing for next season yet So I, don't... I
6: think some of the players that have filled his shirt since he left you might think <laughs> we'd retired it
1: <laughs> Well, he, he did. he's not had the best of career. Well, I say that. He's got loads of medals. And he's certainly got many more England caps than I have. So who am I to castigate him? But uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me if Bellingham did end up back at Birmingham City at some point, maybe at the age of 37, and they unretire his shirt for six months. And maybe at the same time, Phil Jones will find his way back into the Blackburn back four as a 37-year-old centre-back.
6: We talked a bit earlier on about players that we were afraid um, to lose. I've I've got one that um, I'd be afraid if we signed him. Um, we've been linked with um, a goalkeeper uh, from Preston North End, Connor, Connor Ripley,
1: Quinton Ripley. Stanley boy, um, son of
6: Stewart. Son of son of Stewart. Just to give you <laughs> just to give you a bit of an idea, so he made his debut for uh, Borough um, when Borough were already two 0 down against Reading. Um, He went on to concede three more goals in that game. I think he made maybe one more appearance for him after that, maybe a couple in the cup. Then he went out on loan to Oxford United, where Chef United's um, boss was. He brought him on for for one game. Um, He let in two goals, um, and his performance warranted him being sent back from lawn after one game and he's he's kind of floated around Bradford City and Motherwell he was at Accrington and Preston signed him he was quite highly rated
1: at Stanley really, they were league they were league two I think no oh, no maybe, maybe no league one. one league one weren't they, two, yeah. the season after they got promoted
4: so I was, it's one of the few people I've seen try to fight somebody in a Lancashire Cup game. Rovers played Preston. So Preston haven't got on twenty-threes team, so it was basically their second string. And he was upset with Paul Huntington's back pass to his left foot rather than his right foot. And he cleared it and then at the breaker play charged out of his goal, squared up to Huntington, and then it was half time seconds later, and they were they were going at it. Um so he sounds a, he sounds a character. It he was obviously linked when um when Villa signed. It was uh, it was on the radar, then. I think Rovers seem to attract these people. You know, where there's easy links to make, I might start doing yeah. it myself. To build, you yeah. know, pick somebody. Has he played for Middlesbrough? Has he played under Mowbray? Yeah. Has he got a link <laughs> to Rovers? Yeah, we'll stick his uh, we'll stick his name in there. So he ticks he takes at least a few of them boxes. So I'm not. Uh, I've not heard that one, but it won't, it won't surprise. I think it, I think it was one of the um,
1: one of the threads on the on the forum, but I don't think it was uh, substantiated by any hard fact, like many of the rumours on the forum.
4: I think if they're going to get a second choice, I think David Cornell. who was it was just left Northampton. I think he'd probably tick the possible. It seems like everybody in championships looking for a goalkeeper. So they're not uh, they're gonna be scrambling around, I think, which is why I think they'll probably go down the foreign route for a goalkeeper by the
1: bit Have you got a sense of the work permit issues after January the first?
4: Yeah, you're asking things that come beyond my remit of waffling about rovers there. I'll uh, I'll wait till somebody writes something in the athletic and then read more <laughs> about it. I think that's <laughs> probably what I do on these. Yeah, so it, it will it will be affected. You'd, you'd imagine, wouldn't you? Um, whether it depends on which countries you sign from, and yeah. I'm not sure.
1: Because if you can, yeah, if it does go in international caps and stuff like that, then hmm. you're not going to get bargains. You need the a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah, and it won't come as a number two oh, You're listening to the BRFCS podcast. Right, listen, folks, thank you very much. Uh, we, we've taken a lot more time than I originally envisaged, and I'm, I'm grateful for your indulgence. I'd just like to say a thank you to all our panellists, to, uh, to Rich Sharp from the Lanx Telegraph, to Jacob Crook from uh, Lanks Live, and then our usual BRFCS crew of Michael Taylor, Lynns Lewis, Mike DeLapp, Holly Thurston, and Stuart Grimshaw. Thank you ever so much. Enjoy the massively long break that we've got coming up, We'll, we, will, we will do a pre-season one of these, uh, and we'll get your predictions as well. So we'll wait and see just which uh, fourth division youth team free transfers that we sign and put into the first team before we do any of that and see who can take the uh, the trophy off Cami for next season. So enjoy your inverted commas summer break. Thank you all once again, and I'm sure we'll be back soon to talk more about the one and only Blackburn Rovers Football Club. Thanks, everyone. Guys. thank you that everybody trusting. that was excellent thank you really thank good you, I appreciate everyone.
0: it once more cheers in thank thanks for all so your hard workers, tough, you, oh, tough tough work as ever good stuff. good talking professionals there is tonight
1: <laughs> people who know what they're talking about it's a rare thing it'll make anything an absolute breeze <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Cheers, lads. Check start.
4: Is just like a post-match press conference where a Rich Sharp can't get on Zoom, can't get his headphones. <laughs> <effort. laughs> I'm still eating my tea and I've got a beer, so if there's uh, anything good wrong, I'll blame it on that.
1: You look yeah. like you're being held hostage, Mike. Can you hear us?
5: I've, I've just put myself on mute, which might be of great benefit this evening, but anyway, so,
2: uh, it's good. I can't believe you're here and not in Sainsbury's. I'm so excited. <laughs> this,
5: this is actually the uh, the homeware department in Sainsbury's.
2: <laughs> no room for British and hating in this podcast, people.
1: Super. Anything else then before we wrap up, folks?
5: Yeah, when can we sign Conor Ripley? Sounds ideal.
1: I
4: can't wait to interview him now when you play <laughs> this <laughs> back to him as <laughs> <can't really laughs> time.
1: <continue to laughs> I think we'll have to run this by the lawyers before I put it there. Have, have you met Rich before? <laughs> 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 i no, switch it off. I'm just making sure I've, uh, I've hit, switched the stop record button uh-huh. before. I... So, finally, from me, thanks to all our contributors during the season, and to the Symmetry for providing our podcast theme music. Hope you've enjoyed listening to all our episodes this season. We'll be back soon. Thanks very much for listening once again, and have a great break.